Welcome to the Recording Library of West Texas Award-Winning Book Club. On this show, we feature fiction books that have recently won literary awards. We'll discuss writing style, characters, plot, and more aspects connected with this month's featured book, along with some fun questions. We will also pair the book with wine, so stay tuned for our thoughts and reviews of today's wine sampling. Now welcome our host, staff, and volunteers from the Recording Library of West Texas for our award-winning book club. Hi, I'm Trish. I'm the executive director of the Recording Library, and uh, this is the first recording of our award-winning book club. I chose the award-winning book club because I wanted to read books that won awards, and I wanted to learn about the awards. And joining me in my quest for knowledge, (laughs) let's start at my right is... Cindy Johnson. And you are... Volunteer Coordinator at Recording Library of West Texas. And you like books? I do like books. <laughs> I'm a voracious reader. Awesome. Uh, and then on my left is... Iris Foster. Right here in the center in front of me is... Denisa Casey. <laughs> and you are... A volunteer? A volunteer. <laughs> volunteer reader. So we've got two volunteers, two staff members. We also have... Uh, and a couple of other people who wanted to be here, but we'll see what happens in the future. We might have full room <laughs> next time. So the first book that we chose for the book club, well, I chose, was called The Friend, is called The Friend, and it's by the author Sigrid Nunez, published in 2018, and it was the winner of the 2018 National Book Award for Fiction. And I wanted to know what the National Book Awards are, who decides, and what do you get if you win. The National Book Awards are a set of annual U.S. Literary Awards, and they present the awards every year in November. They were established in 1936 by the American Booksellers Association. It was abandoned during World War II and then reestablished by three book industry organizations in 1950. At that time, non-U.S. authors and publishers were eligible, but now the awards are only presented to United States authors for books published in the United States during the award year. The nonprofit National Book Foundation was established in 1988 to administer and enhance the National Book Awards and move beyond them into the fields of education and literacy. Primarily, they sponsor public appearances by writers. Their mission is to celebrate the best literature in America, expand its audience, and ensure that books have a prominent place in American culture. In 2018, there were 1,637 books nominated for the five award categories. The largest group of nominees was the nonfiction category with 546 nominations. So the current process is they're given, the National Book Awards are given to one book, in each of five categories, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, translated literature, and young people's literature. So we're reading the one that won fiction. All of the books that we'll be reading will be, they will have won a fiction award. So we're not reading any biographies. Only publishers can nominate the books for the National Book Awards, but panelists can request the particular nominations from publishers. So the panelists are comprised, each panel for each book award has five judges. And that includes writers, librarians, booksellers, and literary critics. 
And apparently there was some controversy. And in, so in 2013, they expanded the panels to include experts in the literary field in addition to established writers. I assume they mean like teachers, like experts. I don't know. All the finalists receive $1,000, a medal, and a citation written by the panel. And the winner gets $10,000 and a bronze sculpture. So $10,000 doesn't go far in New York City. (laughs) (laughs) And that is where our author is from. So uh, we will talk a little bit about, let's open um, my first question about the book is the about the write, the writing style, the way that the author chose to write the book. So it's in first person. Do y'all have any thoughts about that? I thought it seemed like your own journal because she didn't name anybody except for the dog. So oh. it felt like it felt like a very personal piece of writing, not literature. It felt like you're reading your own journal because Made it a little bit harder to follow that way, too, without the names and then without a whole lot of characters, except the researched writers that she had interspersed into the comments. Oh, yeah. I I finally quit highlighting all the authors that she put because it's just too distracting. I don't think I've ever uh, read a book that she included so many, which was fascinating to me because it reminds you of things that you've read before and maybe want to revisit as well. But I love that. But the dog got a name. And what do you have to say about that? Because Well, I have a lot to say about naming. I'm going to go with writing style, though. I'm going to say one thing about writing style. Did y'all find it, and like you're saying, it was like hard to read because it was like reading someone's journal. It wasn't like you had to go go, kind of go back because there was not really a plot. I mean, there is a plot, but there's a lack of drama, maybe. It is Mm. a little bit. It's all very... You know, level as far as, you know, the highs and lows were, were not very distinct. I agree. Yeah, it didn't seem like it was written to entertain you. as more like you would write in your journal. It's not to entertain yourself, but to examine, maybe examine and analyze. Yeah, and I think, I so let's talk about audience. Because I feel like, and it won this National Book Award, and I did read some things about the National Book Awards that's publishers and the panelists or or you know, literary experts, that perhaps that was her audience. Maybe we weren't intended. Maybe we weren't the first. But then again, I don't know. Like for a class, you think maybe she was writing for a, a Maybe. She's a class. teacher. She is yeah. a teacher. Uh-huh. But I just thought maybe she was writing for writers. And yeah. maybe sort of that insulated New York mm-hmm. literary society. But she... Even if she did that, she doesn't seem to like them very much. (laughs) Okay, so lack of... We have to talk about names, because that is a huge thing that I first noticed off the bat. Yeah. Is not only does she use initials for the people that are characters that she's writing about, and we should probably call her the narrator, not the writer, because the writer is a different person than the narrator, even though it's semi-autobiographical, I think. So the narrator calls people by their initials, the friend is her, the person who committed suicide was her mentor and really long, long-time friend. And, you Sometimes know, like lover. Lover for once. She says <laughs> once, but, you know. Uh, and so, but all the other characters are, like, his wives are wife number one, wife number two, wife number three. What do y'all think about that? 
was very dispassionate. I mean, I just could not get too excited about this woman. And I really like the dog the best. <laughs> but maybe because I'm a dog person. Well, and he had a name. Well, true. I think but... he had a name. Well, the theme that she wrote about, about was it in the Bible that she, they, that. they named, uh, Adam and Eve named the animals. And then did Adam and Eve remind me? They unnamed the animals to set them free. So maybe she didn't name anybody so that they would be free. I don't know. Well, a name implies dominance. Yeah. So right? She, uh-huh. Or dominion. Dominion yeah. over, the, over the animals. Okay. So the name he she chose, Apollo, is pretty top dog. Yeah, yeah. The main narrator, it's all her story, and it's about her relationship with this friend who's committed suicide and she gets left with the dog. So she's talking about pets. So she says, everyone knows the first thing Adam did with animals that the Lord formed out of the freshly created earth. And this first sign of his dominion over them was to give each one a name. And until Adam assigned them their names, some say the animals did not exist. There is a story, and it's by Ursula Le Guin. I believe she's, uh, I've read stuff of hers. It's more like science fiction fantasy. But in her book, a woman not named but unmistakably Adam's partner Eve undertakes to undo Adam's deed. She persuades all the animals to part with the names they've been given. The cats claim never to have accepted the names in the first place. (laughs) Once all have been unnamed, she can feel the difference. The, wall, the downing of a wall, the closing of a distance that had existed between the animals and herself and a new sense of oneness and equality with them. Without names to separate them, no more telling hunter from hunted, eater from food. The inevitable next step is for Eve to give back to Adam the name he and his father gave her. To leave Adam and join all the others who, by accepting namelessness, have freed themselves from domination. For Eve alone, though, the act entails another renunciation, that of the language she shared with Adam. But then one of her reasons for doing what she did in the first place, she says, with that was that talk was getting them nowhere. We were talking about the not non-use of proper names. Right. And that the that dog is me. the only character. <laughs> and Hector. Okay. And Hector, the I did go the back to the landlord. Yeah, the, yeah, the land, yeah. Yes. So what, uh, do you feel like that that, and I was reading the quote about Adam and Eve and naming the animals gave them dominion. And then when Eve decided to unname them in this fiction book, she says it's because once the animals have all been unnamed, she can feel a difference in a downing of a wall, the closing of a distance that had existed between the animals and herself and a new sense of oneness and equality with them. So do you think that was the author was thinking maybe... If I don't name anyone, will all, all these characters will be equal. And the ones she really likes, she names. She names the dog and Hector. <laughs> but everybody else is just... But yeah. There were a couple of students that actually had names. Hmm. Yeah, well, one she, teacher had the yeah. initials OP or something. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And then there were two students that she actually named. Yeah. But that was it. So those are Except probably- for author names. Now, she name-dropped... <laughs> Big yeah, time. That's what, <laughs> which <Yes>. I liked. <laughs> okay, so in name in naming and 
I think it, yeah, it does create a distance. And in the writing, yeah. when you're reading it, you don't really, I don't really care about wife number three. No, exactly. Because she's wife number three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, it just no personality, no connection to them at all because yes. they didn't. They're almost interchangeable. Yeah. So the only person being that she has a, a real true connection is with Apollo the Great Dane. Do y'all know any, any any Great Danes? I know one. I don't. I don't. They're, I have to say, when we see them at the dog park, they are the most aloof creatures. They really don't care. <laughs> well, our dog hmm. trusts, yeah, they, I think that's their demeanor. Hmm. Yeah. I wish we had Sarah January here because she has. Yeah, that's true. She has she Great Dane. Uh-huh. I have to she ask her us. if yeah. Apollo is typical of all Great Danes. Yeah. In my experience, he is. Yeah. Well, Apollo was in mourning, you'll have to remember. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so that yes. probably did change his personality. Yes, yeah. yes because they do mourn heavily. Um, okay, let's talk about Apollo. So what do y'all think about the way in which... So she's sad because it's her friend and mentor, but she's complicated for her. Right. So mm-hmm. Apollo provides her with... They're in mourning together. Right. So she is... She describes... The, the giant dog, I think he's like supposed to be 180 pounds, that having a huge warm body pressed along the length of your spine is an amazing comfort. Has anybody, do y'all think that is, like the dog is in mourning? I think dogs mourn. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. I know they do. Yeah. And for her, their grief is, their shared grief, mm-hmm. which she doesn't share with, say, wife number three. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Thoughts about sharing your grief with the dog? I used to have a really sweet dog, and he always knew my moods. Right. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. I know that I think we all know, our dog that. mourned when Stephen died, and then his his boy had left to go to the service. And so he was gone, so he was kind of mourning him, and then my son died. And so he lost both his boys, and he was devastated. It was really sad. Yeah, he was very sad. How did you know he was really sad? Just his actions. I mean, just yeah. the way he... Hang dog. I mean, yeah, I know that's a exactly. term, but that's but exactly no, I mean, that's just what it he is. Was. Yeah, he was. He, he kept looking for him. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I he, My son went to college, but the dog keeps going upstairs exactly, to his room. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't know. He's just gone. Yeah. His boy is gone. She, he, she goes up and sits by the door. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, oh... So we were going to play a trick on her when he came home at Christmas <laughs> and bring him in and put him in the bedroom and then have her go up and find him. But she did get so excited when she did see him at Christmas and she's been totally trained. Mm-hmm. But when she saw him at Christmas, Oops. when he came home, oh, yeah. she peed all over the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super excited. Mm-hmm. Okay. So back to the book. Now we have to talk about, I mean, we're talking about Apollo, but the only reason she has Apollo is because of this relationship with this person. So let's talk about him. He's her mentor, a writer. He was her teacher. He was her teacher. That's kind of, you know. And saw nothing wrong with having relationships with his students. With the college student, Yeah. Well, he had no business committing suicide after he had taken responsibility for for (laughs) this dog. (laughs) Took this dog in. He had some nerve. (laughs) Yeah, really. You take out her 180 pound dog in, and then you decide to commit suicide. But then there was the part where 
she was talking to him and the saying, chapter, yeah, that's yeah, that, the that second, second to last chapter. I was yeah. gonna, I definitely was gonna ask y'all about yeah. that because like, so um, did he really die? Second to last chapter, she visualizes what what he would say to her. Yeah, and because they, I mean, I guess that would be a natural thing because they're writers, and they that was the basis of their relationship was to sit around and talk about right writing. And she talked about how she had changed the dog, the dog that he had into a Great Dane and so yeah. forth. Because he had a dog named Jip, and it was little. It was like a yeah. dachshund, I think. Yeah. 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 What do y'all think about that chapter? Was I was very confused. I was very <laughs> confused. I was very confused. I was like, so, is he not dead? Or is this a, a Are, book within a book? Exactly. Yeah. I think I mean, you could make of it what you will. If you don't want him to be dead, you could say, oh, this is the way it really went, or... Yeah, but then you do get the last chapter yeah. with when, and it's all as it has been the rest of the time. Yeah. And, and the wives, Apollo, and yeah, mourning yeah. And, and at the memorial service, you know, describing yeah. him and so forth. So I thought this can't, this has to have happened. It has to have happened. Yeah, yeah. I'm so I think it was visualization, visualization, and she wrote it like, what would, what would this happen if I went and talked to him? But anyway, back to him. So yeah, he had no business committing suicide with a hundred eighty pound dog, <laughs> depending on him. But his, he was a womanizer, and he slept oh, yeah. with his students. But the person he trusted was the person who he didn't really have a sexual relationship with. And that says a lot about intimacy. I mean, he didn't really have any with his third wife, obviously, but he could totally trust his friend to take his dog. And, and a womanizer, they're avoiding intimacy, that's their whole purpose for that, right? Promiscuity, you're avoiding. Uh, yeah, intimacy. that's the conventional. I would say yes. Do y'all think that he? Well, he was a womanizer, and he. The thing is, it seems to have crossed like modern lines. Like you don't. The Me too. People would have been all after him. Exactly. Right. Exactly. As a student. Like, he, he even told her about students that right. he had seduced and people he'd had affairs with. I mean, would you want to be friends with this kind of guy? No. No, not really. But isn't that kind of why he committed suicide? Because they were, you know... Starting to rebuff him? Yeah, right. And he was aging. He was aging. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so his purpose not. for being was over. Yeah, she even described... I think at one point she even describes him as a Lothario. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But yeah. yet she has this... He got a glimpse of himself as an aging self and mm-hmm. not a desirable person. And he couldn't picture. live with yeah. that any longer. The Dorian longer. Gray concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you don't, I don't, I mean, as a reader, I didn't really like him. No. no. And I can't really, I mean, I. I'm not sure what everybody was mourning about. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, he must have been just a real charmer. Maybe he was great at a party. I guess. Something. I don't know. <laughs> well, but I, when she lists all the. The writers who have committed suicide, you know, there's another one. I mean, just I think the act of a suicide was probably what they were mourning. So why, I mean, do is that, do y'all think that's the only reason he killed himself is because all of a sudden he wasn't going to be attractive to younger women and that's sort of what he'd been basing his life on? I think that was a heavy factor. Be, yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows what else was in his life. His life was pretty meaningless except for... But I don't know. Teaching should have its own rewards, I would think. Yeah, I think there's a part where they like kind of describe him as uh, he's a a good writer, mm-hmm. but maybe not a famous writer. Right, yeah. 
Maybe he thought he was going to be a famous writer like Hemingway he, or something. He yeah. felt like his star had set or his sun had set or whatever, and he didn't have anything to look forward to, maybe. So that's actually good for this next question, which, um, so she's, the narrator says, she's talking to someone. No, she. I think she says it, but they are, it's at the funeral, towards the beginning of the book. If reading really does increase empathy, as we're constantly being told that it does, it appears that writing takes some away. Why do we, why does she feel that way? Hmm. She's certainly not very empathetic to her students. No. Or that fellow teacher. Yeah. No. That she calls OP. OP, yes. She sort of thinks they're silly. Mm-hmm. Or. Well, you have to be very honest and examine people. And when you see everybody, warts and all. So reading does inc- is supposed to increase empathy. It's interesting. I think that's a theme in the book throughout is this dichotomy between writers and readers which is pretty interesting for a book that wins a book award and mm-hmm. is nominated by publishers. And, I mean, part of the the reason that that the National Book Awards were created was because I think some people in the literary, this is one thing I read, some people in the literary establishment or publishers wanted certain, but they thought certain books were not getting enough exposure. Right. So let's make an award. Give it an award. And then, and then you make people like us read it. Then you make people read it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, and she said herself in, in an interview that she really didn't want to be mass marketed. She, you know, she thought of her work as a calling, and and she was happy to be kind of an outlier. A lot of humility. Which is what I sort of got from her is she didn't want to be. That this was the first time she's had a book like this that has been nationally known and recognized, and people are reading it in their book clubs. So why do you think that she, and do you think that sort of that was her way to communicate? Now the writer, now I'm talking about the narrator. Did the writer use the narrator's thoughts about her students to communicate things that she maybe necessarily couldn't say to them in class? That might be too harsh. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Well, I'm glad y'all agree with me. Yeah, I mean, like what? Oh, she just, they said they're stupid kids and they would say stupid things to her like I don't want why do I'm a, I want to be a writer why do, I don't want to read other people's writing yeah. I want to write I want to read what I what I write what I write yeah not so at what other people they write. were very self-serving and, and not at all interested in expanding you know their their thoughts so there's that lack of empathy right. that she's kind of talking about. One thing that I read that is just a coincidence is about when she, and it reminded me, when she figures out that the dog likes to be read to, do you think? Uh, the first thing I thought of was obviously her guy, whatever we want to call him, he must have been reading out loud to the dog, maybe. Mm-hmm. That, yes, I yeah. that. So then that led me down the rabbit hole on the internet of that there's all these studies, these the therapy dogs that go to schools and mm-hmm. they sit and the kids read to the dogs mm-hmm. because they're an impartial audience. No, no criticisms from the dog. They're gonna, they know they're going to get the treat. At the oh end. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it seemed too that he seemed to sense that it calmed her to read to herself. Yeah, I mean it calms me. I think it's good therapy to read aloud to yourself. I think that's why we're all here. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> we're all we all like to read out loud. 
maybe it is. Maybe it did calm her, and like dogs can sense smell. Mm-hmm. And so maybe when she would be agitated, he would sense her being agitated. Probably part of the time she was agitated with him. I mean, she's a 180-pound dog in a 500-square-foot apartment. Exactly. I, I like to think of him encouraging her to read to her, you know, to read. Oh, yeah, aloud. she says he oh, brings yeah. the book to her. Yeah. 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 Except the one he shredded. <laughs> Except the one he shredded. <laughs> he, he had an opinion about that one, obviously. <laughs> Yes, as as much as like a human being he became to her, he still was a dog. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just this rather unsympathetic view of all the people. But, you know, a dog like that is going to attract attention. Oh, yeah. So I thought that when she was talking in, about sometimes when she would have him out on the street, mm-hmm. that was a you could tell like that that was a major part of her. I mean, why would the writer choose to write about that? Mm-hmm. She wanted to tell us how he interacted with others. And also how she put herself in harm's way to protect to him. To protect him. When he got off the curb. and mm-hmm. She'd get between him and the street. Yeah, and then there's that one part where he, she says he protected her at the park when the runner is, like, bearing down on him and right. doesn't see them. So they were protecting each other. Each other. They mm-hmm. were both in grief. Hmm. They each one gave the other a purpose and a distraction from their own grief, which was very healing for both of them. Yeah. And the suicide, I don't know if he planned that or not, but <laughs> it was an act of genius, actually. Well, like, so there was, they say there's no note when the guy commits suicide and then that no one can take this dog. I mean... That seems kind of cold to me. If I was married to someone and they committed suicide, and then the, they, I wouldn't give their dog away. I wouldn't give their dog No. So, wife number three? Yeah. No. We don't she like just, her. We don't like her. She's. <laughs> well, and that's an interesting thing, too, because, like, do you, like, there has to be someone that we all, I mean, in most books that you read, you want to like a character. There needs to be someone you like. Um, so, we like the dog. The dog. I guess yeah, we all agree that, on that. Exactly. Apollo is our friend. Yeah. And we don't like Mr. Womanizer. He would have been crucified. Although, this is interesting. I was thinking about this earlier. Do y'all know any uh, relationships that teachers ever had with students that maybe were accepted? Like maybe your older college student, like, end up with, like, her professor? Yep. Yes. Dr. Hooker at Southwestern. Married <laughs> a student. Dottie. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Were, did any, like, what year was that? Do you think in the it, 70s? Yeah, so probably late, a little late more 70s. Accepted. And he was a psychology professor, though. That was what was oh interesting. <laughs> I've been delving into some Ancestry.com stuff, and I found uh, that I have an ancestor who was in, after the Civil War, he was a teacher, and he moved to Mississippi to be like a specific teacher to like these three families. And he ended up marrying one of them, and they moved to Texas, and they're my like great, great grandparents. But when I look at the dates, mm-hmm. like their birth and death dates, yeah, he was a, like, a, but that's war. I mean, it was a civil right. war. He was exactly. he comes back after the war. He's a thirty-something-year-old man. It's a May-December deal, huh? And she's the you know fifteen-year-old. She's the oldest girl. But there were not many surviving males, right? Yeah, you right. have to take what you right. in that situation, and that nobody thought twice about it. No. That that was a common thing for the yeah. older man and for the, the younger. Time, so. Yeah, the times. So. Um, so this guy is antiquated. Maybe that's why he killed himself. 
Hmm. He yeah. didn't see it, that he was going to have a place in the new world. Because there's, there's one part early on they talk about there being a meeting at the school. Is this? Am I remembering that right? Hmm. Where they talk about dating students or it's a, a bunch of it students. It was becoming yes. Make it him, was becoming unacceptable to do what he was doing and had done for years. I think he was aging out of that. Well, I don't know that it was time. so unacceptable as long as he was young and the young girls didn't mind it so much, but as he got older they began to more have predatory. a problem. Yeah. Problem with it. Yeah. But you know, the young girls were happy to play along as, you know, with getting grades and whatever. <laughs> the casting couch mm, effect. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, that's the, Nobody complained then, did they? Right. So it was going to be a new world for him, another thing to adjust to. Not only could he not not only were they going to rebuff him because he was old and maybe not as handsome, but he was also going to get him in trouble. And they talk about that. There's one her other one of her other name drops is the book Disgrace. And I look that up, and that is about a inappropriate relationship. So, so that as actually an interesting question. When people are reading things, do you feel like that they can read them? With a sense of detachment and not judge those people? I or, can't. No? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm all in trying to, you know, envision these people as three-dimensional. Yeah, it's always a big deal when, very we, when we either read or watch a TV show that my husband needs to like someone. He needs to really like a character. Oh. Hmm. I'm not. I'm more dispassionate, I guess. You know, I just, I don't make any judgments. I think humans are very complicated, and I don't really judge characters I don't really judge but you like the dog yeah I like the dog Uh, I I like to get involved in their in their life to find out why they think the way they do why they think the way they do Uh, I don't know I just didn't feel like this one yeah I, I, I couldn't grasp anybody yeah but I could grasp the situation oh yeah the the Compassion and empathy. I mean, she didn't want a great Dane, and he was a lot of trouble. But the compassion oh, that she had for a, for a morning dog, for a morning dog. Yeah. Yeah, I don't dislike her. Our narrator. Yeah. I don't. I don't dislike her. I don't want her life. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No. But um, I did think the way she solved not getting kicked out was pretty clever. Yeah. Yes. I love yes. That. And, and that's was. been a theme lately. All and these comfort has, animals yes. on airplanes and things like that. Yeah. She, oh, that is interesting. Yeah, that yeah. she wants him named. But, but it's and she even talks about the irony of that. Is that really you know she's she's the comfort the comfort companion yeah. to the dog. But the, I like the therapist. Because and then does another unnamed character. Right. She does. Her friends are like, "You're crazy!" And all you do is spend all your time with this dog. So she does go to therapy. The therapist is not named, but she does seem to get better after she goes to the therapist. Yeah. But then he says, "Bring the dog with you." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and sometimes she just cries yeah. the whole hour. Yeah, yeah. with the dog just speaking. there. Yeah, and. Then the, so yeah, of course he's willing to write the thing that says that this is her companion, even exactly. though yeah, yeah, he's um, yeah. or he or she therapist is not all these themes of gendered. the companion, you know, the suicide, you know, all these things, the Me Too, you know, the in- inappropriate relationship are all very timely, and and so that part I liked a lot. I just 
didn't have a whole lot of buy-in to the whole storyline, I guess. Yeah, that. So yeah. we're gonna read a bunch of different stuff and bunch of from like historical fiction to other genres and stuff. When the one thing I do like is it sort of got me out of well, I tell Cindy all the time I'm in a World War II rut. Like every it seems like every really good book that I've read is lately is set in World War II. So did y'all like reading something that was set in contemporary times? Was that different? I like that. You like it. Yeah, I wouldn't have read this book. I don't read anything from contemporary times, but I'm glad I did because I could really identify with the situation that this lady was in. I mean, as a dog rescuer, I guess, you rescue a... I mean, I had to give up a little dachshund that was dachshund chihuahua that was a lot of trouble, and I agonized over that, so I really had a lot of Mm -hmm. sympathy for the Great Dane issue you know who else is going to take a great dane so my dachshund chihuahua worked out and i was really glad it did but it was bothersome to me when it was going on so maybe that's why i related to it so much i like picturing her wandering around manhattan Mm. (laughs) with this huge dog because when you go to Manhattan, you see dog walkers with four or five uh, on leashes, yeah. and you think, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Can you imagine being poor, pulled different directions by it, Yes, and isn't it funny? Like, so my daughter in Chicago, she's babysitting. and then But then she said, well, I might take up dog walking. And I'm like, oh, no, that's too much responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> They're not babysitting. They're, They're not, not babysitting. babysitting. <laughs> Well, I like, too, that he addressed why, you know, about the dog's mourning. Why, well, I do. Why... We just can't bear for a dog or an animal to be in distress. Dis- yeah, distress. And, you know, as a child, we don't like that, but sometimes some of us just can't bear for an animal. But he did say it was because animals are innocent from birth until death. So I'm glad he, I thought it was just me that felt that way sometimes about animals. Right. And then that was also the part about that the dogs don't cry that was an interesting like thing yeah. to bring up dogs they don't cry but they have other physical ways of showing you mm-hmm. that they have that something's wrong with them you know they just have to be patient with whatever they're given don't they sometimes i guess they get can get very aggressive but sometimes they just have to be patient or that's my experience with animals that have been abused or they're just very patient and accepting they are. So I was, trying, I was trying to think of the dog, if the dog is a representation of something. Ah. Because the book is about grief, and yeah, it is kind of, we, I agree, it's kind of a downer. Um, it, It's about grief and mourning, but it's also about the path out of that. And the there's a very interesting quote in there. I don't know if I'm going to say it. I'm going to paraphrase. But it's about, we feel these things so deeply... Like, you mourn the loss of a dog, but isn't that what makes you who you are? That those experiences, and if you didn't have them. So I wonder about that, like, because there's people who don't like dogs. I don't yeah, understand I wonder about those people. Yeah, that's, <laughs> who the heck? <laughs> who the heck are those people? Really? Um, but I, we may be just grief, maybe pet grief, but also grief for people changes who you are. And maybe the dog is a representation of that there has to be a change. Hmm. 
But then, it kind of, I mean, she keep. I love how she keeps saying in the book, I know there's a certain group of you who are wondering something bad is going to happen to this dog. And you can't, yeah. And I was yeah. like, yes, I yes, am. Exactly. <laughs> End exactly. of life issues all the way around. Yeah. Between the person and the suicide and the dog and natural death. Well, he had his opportunity for something bad when, was it wife two that said she had a great place for him to go? And she was like, didn't trust that. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, they did protect each other. Yeah. Because, yeah. And, so they did protect each other. And then the, we were laughing the other day. We were talking about the, it's very short, and I'll paraphrase it again, but the person who comes into her apartment and says, oh, this whole place smells like dog. <laughs> so then she says, I solved that problem and never invited that person. That hasn't happened. Exactly. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that is. Uh, you know, people like that. Yeah, she her loyalty was to the dog. Right. Yeah. Well, he's the one that needed her. Yes. Yeah. They needed one, and she other. needed him. Yeah. Well, maybe that him. was yeah. the theme was neediness, and the professor killed himself after he no longer felt needed, and because they said his mm-hmm. relationship with his third wife wasn't you know, up to par with his others, and and um, and then you know, she needed someone and so the dog filled that need and and vice versa the dog so yeah i think that's interesting that the that concept of yes you need everybody needs someone and in this case she ends up with probably not what she thought she needed yeah no i mean i don't think anybody needs a 180 (laughs) dog no Especially but in an apartment. In an apartment. I mean, if she, she was had a farm, awesome. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. that's your dog. Well, that was nice that at the end she got to be at the beach house. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I liked the last chapter. Even though the second to last chapter was so, like, you're thrown off and it was disconcerting with the visual visualized conversation with the man. But then you, at least we got, towards the end, we got a little bit of, um, that sounded very peaceful. Yes. And the closure. Definitely. I like the last like, line. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, maybe we should read that. Hang on. There also there are so many death themes, and writers love to talk about death. But I do think that that the other thought, the quote that I thought was interesting in the text was that the um, that death is the, the one experience that writers are not going to get to write about. <laughs> it's yeah. yes, it's sort of like you know, you writers write about everything. So that's what I mean is that she doesn't, she thinks that she sees the irony and it doesn't really bother her. In fact, I think she likes that. I think she likes that. That's the ultimate trick. Maybe that fate plays on a writer is that's the one thing you're not going to get to report. Right. <laughs> so she's telling us, right. That she, the narrator is telling us, but the writer is telling us that she's using that writers use things that happen to them all the time. Oh, in yeah. their writing examples oh yeah so did y'all cry at the end no 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 <laughs> i cried just a little bit not cried i was just like oh that's really sweet well i i thought it was very sweet i mean and i was like oh but <laughs> i always like finding the title of the book in the text right somewhere. so the last like, lines are oh my friend my friend mm. yeah which so, yeah, I mean, the, the naming thing, I still have to go back to that because it's so unique. But she's naming my friend, and obviously, in this instance, she's talking about Apollo. But is she also talking about yeah. the man? Yeah, my friend, friend and my yes. friend. Yes. Even though none of us can see why she would be friends with someone like that. Exactly. 
Thanks. But there's it's habit. You know. Something out of that relationship. Yeah. And it was obviously a very long-term relationship. Yeah. More significant than More, his three marriages. And then his and three then marriages. She, yeah. and yeah. yeah. That she was married and that it started when she was a student. And sure that, well, when you have a good friend that you can talk to, you sort of forgive some of their. Right. Yes, definitely. You look Less the other way. Fine point. <laughs> yes. Because of that relationship because, yes. developed over years and you kind of you know, forgive each other's warts. Yeah. I mean, you know, she met with him sometimes and walked out. I was like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I do like the ending. Okay. And so we're close to, it's almost been an hour. Um, do y'all have any other part about the writer or anything? I did read a little bit about her that she grew up on Staten Island in a, a very modest home. Her dad was a waiter and a, um, hospital like cook. hospital food guy, yeah. Which and mom stayed home. Her mom was German. Her dad was Panamanian Chinese. <laughs> but and then she's written like nine books. This is just the only one that's gained any kind of acclaim. She's a teacher. See, let's Barnard. It's the only thing she's ever done. She has all this education, but all she wanted to be was a writer, and mm-hmm. she just kind of wanted to have that solitary life that a lot of writers aspire to. Yeah, she wanted it to be quiet. She didn't want. I guess she talked. She was good friends with Susan Sontag, and saw and what dated his son or something, and saw the life of of a writer who was very well known and acclaimed and busy, mm-hmm. and she didn't want it. Yeah, chose. Not, I mean, it's very interesting. So the I did look up also the picture of her. Um, there was a picture of her from when she did an art- article on NPR, and she looked exactly like I thought she would look. <laughs> kind of like a nun. I mean, she yeah, she, like and just sort of and, she, and standing in New York City in in a park, wearing a trench coat with big glass like glasses on. I could see a Great Dane sitting beside her. Yeah. Very unadorned. Mm-hmm. Plain spoken, plain dressed. Yeah, I think even when she won the National Book Award, her what she she didn't really speak. I don't think that was. I think she just kind of said thanks. <laughs> and she probably. <laughs> Went and paid the rent with her $10,000 writing prize. So, review. Do you think that you will ever read another National Book Award winning book based on this book? Or have you, is there another National Book Award winning book that you've read? Oh, possibly. I have a ton of books that I've read. I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, definitely based on this one, I would. I don't know that I'd read another Sigrid Nunez book. but And it um, makes me think again about contemporary works. I'd take another look at contemporary works. Sure. I'm reading The Calamitous 14th Century just now. It's Barbara That is Tuch- not contemporary, said <laughs> Barbara Tuchman. <laughs> hmm. Well, like I said, not my favorite. And it is only, let's see, the, the particulars about the book is it was only 200 pages long. Oh, I really liked it. I, I, yeah. I liked the situation. I don't, yeah, no judgments on anybody. You, so do you think you would read another one of her books? Yeah, definitely. There's one other book of hers that I thought I might go back and read that got, uh, the one about Susan Sontag. Sorry, yeah. That, because I think that would be interesting. A writer's view of a writer. Oh, it's not nonfiction then? Right, it's not nonfiction. Uh, so for our purposes, we will not be discussing yeah. it. <laughs> we are only reading. But, like, I mean, the, we started off saying this was, it read like a journal. and, and so, Exactly, yeah. I mean, it was a journal. It, to me, it felt like an outline for a book. 
Mm-hmm. Not it, the full book. Not the full okay. book. It's like, you know, here's some wonderful ideas all put together, and now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make a story out of this. Oh, that is interesting, Denise. Well, because the type font, too, looked yes. more like an outline yeah. than I mean, it a just published was, work. You know, it's like, now let's take this and let's create a story. Let's name these people. and. Oh, yeah, because coming up with names is the, hard, is oh, the yeah. harder parts of writing a story, I think. Yeah. And the breaks, like in the cha- like in the yes. middle of the chapter, there's the big breaks. Yes. The- I would think this would be hard to follow as an audio. That's what I was going to ask. Did anybody try to listen to the audio version? No. no. Well, if yeah. anybody would like, I mean, we do have, we did download it here. So if anybody wants an audio version of the book, we can, we can get them that. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I looked it up to see who, like on the Audible account, to see who the narrator was, mm-hmm. because that is always important to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you want whispering in your ear? <laughs> yes. Who do I want? Who do I want to hear? So I didn't, but that's an interesting. But I might. I mean, I looked it up. I might just download. I mean, since we already downloaded it here, mm-hmm. um, but if any of our listeners want it, they can certainly get it, and then they can um, email us there. Thoughts, and we can talk about it next month. Which so we'll talk about next month. Um, the next book. Oh gosh, I can't even believe I didn't bring it in here. All the birds in the sky. All the birds in the sky. By I can't remember her name. Oh, I didn't bring my. How bad I don't remember. I I ordered it today. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a winner of uh, the awards. It won was the Nebula Award and the Hugo Award, which are two very well-known science fiction awards. I think it's dystopian science fiction. Oh, All the Birds in the Sky, novel by Charlie Jane Anders. It is a 2016 science fantasy novel. And I, I know, like I said, we were going to read contemporary, like this year books. But when I went to look for Nebula and Hugo Award winner, well, the, it was the same book that won, and it was the third thing in a trilogy. And we're not going to read a trilogy. Yeah, no. We're going to read standalone books. Mm-hmm. I can't commit to a trilogy. Game of Thrones just about killed me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, published in 2016, but won the Nebula Award for Best Novel 2017. So, I went back one year. I, I think there's vampires. and. Oh, really? Yeah, I think there's vampires and uh, uh, then like a science nerd or well, something. Well, that sounds completely different. I was going to say, different. a lot more animated exactly. than this one. I, I think it will be. <laughs> yeah, this one is a little bit hard to talk about to you because... It is. It did feel, even though it was supposed to be fiction, it did feel more like reading somebody's autobiography or a journal or an outline. That's really good. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Anything else? Thanks. It's been a pleasure. No. Thanks yes. for coming. <laughs> Thanks for showing up for my little club. I appreciate I'm y'all. You're making me read something besides. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that was one question. So we'll, now leave it on. We'll ask that question. So, um, in. I, a lot of the reason I wanted to read award-winning books is because I think sometimes I get started with like a series like Game of Thrones, but with those are really good books, but I'll start reading things that aren't necessarily, I think um, they're, I call them candy books. They're a waste of time, but they (laughs) sure are easy to get through. Easy, fun, like vacation reads or Mm -hmm. anything I'm reading. So I wanted to challenge myself a little bit to read things that maybe weren't candy, maybe main courses. And that were recognized, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And I think one thing that will be interesting is as we go through the books and the different awards is, um, and I tried to include like a smattering of all different kinds of awards. 
Thank you for joining us for the Recording Library of West Texas award-winning book club, premiering on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. Thanks to our volunteers who participated in today's reading. To listen again, find our show as a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at our website at recordinglibrary.org.